What's going on, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And the NBA draft was last night. So we're going to go through all the picks that we think matter and give you our quick breakdowns on them. Let's just start with an easy one. We've done a lot of Yama talk. We Everyone knew this was happening. I give this an A+, obviously. This is just a generational player going to a really good organization. Yeah, no overthinking here. They're taking an excellent player. I cannot wait to see Weminyama in the NBA. I'm betting on him being healthy. The sky is the absolute limit. There's not much we can say that hasn't been said already. I think the thing you can talk about, I guess, with San Antonio moving forward is what's next. Um, They have their generational big man of the future. Jeremy Sohan was a great pick. Devin Vassell is a nice young piece. They really have to start putting together the rest of the roster and figure out how to best pair up players around Weminyama. Yeah, I think the Spurs are going to be a really tough beat. Like, I don't think teams are just going to be able to walk into San Antonio with victories easily uh, next season because of Wembenyama. I just think what he does on defense um, and just the shot creation you can get from a guy that tall is going to be really interesting to try to stop. So, yeah, I think the Spurs are going to be better than people think. And I think this was absolutely the right selection. Moving to number two is kind of where the draft started getting exciting. We had heard rumors all day that Scoot Henderson was going to be the pick at number two. That didn't happen. Brandon Miller was the selection at number two. What What are your feelings on that selection? So just to, before I talk about the Brandon Miller thing and to talk about that buzz, uh, most of that buzz was coming from Shams and Shams works for FanDuel. Yeah. So I don't know if there's some weirdness about that because the line absolutely moved once he started saying that Scoot Henderson was going to go too, even though that, you know, Woj was pretty certain the entire time it was going to be Miller. I think the pit for picking for fit is always tricky, but Brandon Miller is a good enough prospect that this isn't going to be looked at as a horrible, horrible decision by Charlotte. I think Scoot was clearly the better player out of the two of them. But if you're getting baby Paul George as a consolation prize, I think you're doing okay. I do think, you know, Brandon Miller has an interesting opportunity here to try to grow the love of Hornets fans. There were multiple videos that went viral last night of, you know, either local bars in Charlotte, the draft party at Charlotte's arena. People were devastated when he was selected over Scoot Henderson. So it'll be up to Brandon Miller to kind of win the hearts of people in Charlotte. Yeah. And I think, you know, what that offense is going to look like. LaMelo takes more threes than almost anybody else in the NBA over 10 and a half a game. Brandon Miller could do the same thing. This could be a three-point shooting duo at the volume of like a Stephen Clay Thompson kind of duo. I don't think they'll hit that level of efficiency, but just in terms of shots going up, this is going to be a high, high volume three-point shooting team. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to number three, the Blazers selected Scoot Henderson, obviously with all the Dame chatter. He said he doesn't want a youth movement. Them actually selecting this pick gives me indication that Dame probably is on the move. We'll have to hear this bullshit for the next couple months. Um, But Scoot Henderson, I think, is going to be an all-NBA player. I think this is the best prospect at the point guard position I've ever evaluated. I think it goes back a pretty far way. This guy is an insane athlete. He has an insane mentality. His mid-range pull-up jumper is extremely consistent, decently efficient from the free-throw line. I just think he's kind of a can't-miss point guard prospect, and I'm really happy for Blazers fans that they can enter a new era with a new point guard that they can fall in love with. Yeah, Scoot Henderson's going to be fun as hell, and I'm so not excited for the standoff that's about to happen between Portland and Dame. Uh, You know, Dame made it very clear, I don't want young players. Go trade them and get some good older stars around. Portland didn't do it. 
And I think they're just going to sit around and wait for Dame to decide, all right, finally, I want to get out of here. I'm not excited for that. But if that happens, just thinking about the rebuild in Portland with Scoot, Anthony Simon, Shaden Sharp, and whatever treasure chest you get back, that could be a really, really fun team to watch like immediately as soon as that trade goes down. Yeah, absolutely. And we've both talked about it, that Scoot is the type of guy that can be the number one option on a team since the time he's young, right? That's kind of the intrigue with Scoot is he's just the guy you give the ball to from day one. So I think if Dame leaves, he just has the keys to the car immediately. And we're going to see some really cool shit from Scoot. Yeah, no, going to number four, Houston Rockets selected a men Thompson. This is my favorite fit out of at least the lottery. I think Amen Thompson brings excellent defense, excellent facilitating, and a kind of aggressive mindset that has been lacking in Houston over the past couple of seasons. I don't want him to be high on the shot chart. I want him maybe third or fourth in line in terms of field goal attempts per game. Thinking about the way he sets up Jalen Green and Jabari gets me very excited for next season. Yeah, I think the Rockets are a must-watch next season uh, just because of their backcourt alone. With Jalen Green and Amen Thompson, the two like most athletic guards it feels like in the league outside of Anthony Edwards and maybe Zach Levine guys like that it's just going to be high flying the entire year um I expressed some concerns about Amen scoring on this team just because of the lack of spacing in general on this unit but I think the defense and the passing like you mentioned is going to open things up for his teammates so I think he's still going to be an impactful um offensive rookie I would just caution Houston fans to look at turnovers and efficiency as a rookie. I think those are some areas he might struggle in just because of the how the roster is constructed. Yeah, we're going to have to see how effectively he can score inside with the level of spacing that the Rockets have. Uh, we've seen with a guy like John ja Morant, they sag off him at the three-point line, and what it does is it gives him a runway to move towards the hoop. Amen Thompson, if you give him four steps and a, a lane to take off, he's going to dunk over everybody. So there is a path for him to still succeed with some relatively average shooters around him. But I just can't wait to see what this looks like with Udoka as the coach, new system in Houston. I'm expecting major changes next year. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to number five in the Pistons, Asar Thompson. I'm not sure why me and you overlooked this possibility, literally the entire draft process. We did not mention this fit basically once on any of our platforms. I think this is a fantastic fit ball handling wing that you can pair with Cade and Ivy. He's used to playing off the ball. He's used to playing with the ball. I think if Cade's sitting on the bench, he could run some pick and rolls. If Ivy's sitting on the bench, he could run some pick and roll. Or he could just stay on the wing, set up as a catch and shoot guy, attack closeouts, drive, cut, defend, all of these things that the Pistons need. I think he's a perfect fit. I really like it. Yeah, man, I don't know why we didn't talk about it. Asar Thompson fits Detroit really, really well. I think he is maybe the best wing defender out of this draft class. I think he's going to bring great, great off-ball offense for the Pistons. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about his catch-and-shoot three, but I think on low volume he'll be fine. But just as a guy who scraps, who works hard, who cuts, I think putting him next to two promising playmakers in Caden, uh, Jaden Ivey, He's going to get his chance to get his own buckets, and he's also going to get his chance to facilitate a little bit. Um, I'm just, I can't wait to see this, man. This was a great pick. I agree. I think, you know, the jump shot is theoretical with him, but we've seen glimpses of improvement and glimpses of, like, something to be 
happy about. So Absolutely. If, if that comes to fruition, I think this is like an A plus pick for the Pistons sets uh, at five. Yeah, he shot 30% from three in the regular season, but 40% from three during the playoffs, during the OTE playoffs. So we saw a jump. And if you look at the way his jump shot looks, it's very pretty. It's very clean. I think this could end up being a great pick for Detroit. Uh, moving on to Orlando at number six. This is an interesting one. I think Anthony Black was the best player available. I'm very high on him. I think he'll be a great player in the NBA. But Orlando doesn't have a single player on the team who takes more than four and a half threes a game. And Anthony Black is certainly not going to be your three-point shooter. I think he's the kind of guy that plays really, really well next to other great players. So putting him next to Paolo and Franz in that regard is great for him. But Orlando needs to figure out its shooting ASAP. Yeah, so I want to give credit for to Orlando for drafting the best guy available. I also want to highlight that they're building a jumbo squad, and I think defensively that's really interesting. I think for scoring the basketball, this was just a weird selection. Um, again, he's the best player available. It's usually a pretty good strategy to just grab the best guy. I get it. The lack of shooting on this squad is going to be extremely interesting to see how they navigate it. I just don't, Anthony Black's not going to come into the NBA and shoot 37% from three on six attempts a game. It's just never going to happen. It's it's not even a thought with him. Uh, Paolo, same thing. Like he's not going to be stroking it from deep next year. Franz, probably not. Markel Fultz, definitely not. Where is the jump shooting coming from? I get it because he's the best guy available. I just don't love the fit. Yeah, I think they have to figure out other things on the team. The way I think about it, Anthony Black is going to be better than Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, Gary Harris, Jalen Suggs. He's going to earn his starting spot pretty quickly. So you do have to figure out the rest of the fit around him, but the shooting is going to be an issue. Absolutely. I think Anthony Black is a great player. I think the defense he brings is going to be overwhelming for a lot of guards in the NBA, but what does this mean? Is there a path here where potentially a guy like Franz gets moved so they can bring in a high volume three point shooter? Or are they just going to go for role players who can hit threes and that's it? Yeah, no, Franz is not being moved. Franz is a part of the future there. He will be there past his second extension. So this is just, they're going to try to fix it around the edges. That was my draft strategy strategy for them moving into the draft was just get guys around the edges already who are elite at shooting. I wanted them to take Grady Dick at six and Jordan Hawkins at 11. Obviously, I know that's a reach for both players at those selections. I didn't really care because I believe in Paolo and Franz so much. Again, I get the selection because Anthony Black's awesome. I'm a big fan of his. Just don't love the lack of shooting. I think the paint is going to be so crowded for that team. I'm just going to watch them to see how they try to figure it out. Yeah, I I mean, Anthony Black is my favorite prospect of this entire draft. So I'm very, very happy that he went to a legitimate team. I didn't want to see him try to be a number one option on a team like Washington that wasn't going to go anywhere. I want to see him next to really good players. I think he helps other players shine. So, I mean, you're going to have to figure out the three-point shooting, but I don't think this will be the bad pick that Orlando made. Um, moving on to number seven, Indiana traded to Washington, Bilal Koulibaly going to Washington. Um, this is a reach. He is not the seventh best prospect just because you're raw doesn't mean you have an all-star ceiling. Um, he's six, seven with a seven, three wingspan, and he knows how to play professional basketball and Washington is in for a long rebuild, but I don't love this. I'm okay with it. Actually. I'm okay with it. I think at the rate at which he improved, I think that's why people don't view him as, uh, a long-term project 
because earlier in the year he was on the lesser team in France because he was younger. He was playing at like under 21. Yeah. Injuries happened on Metropolitan's 92 where Wemby plays. And he was so good at U21, he bounced up to that and then became a key part of them making it to the finals in the French League. Like, this isn't just, like, some random 18-year-old who can jump high and has a long wingspan. Like, this is a guy who knows how to play impactful winning basketball. Now, will I lie and say, I oh, I totally saw him getting selected at seven? Absolutely not. I thought this was – it shocked me when he was selected. Yeah. Um, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay. I don't love it. I don't hate it. I'm kind of right there in the middle with it. I think it's fine. I do not like it. I'm very much not a big fan. I understand he looked great um, playing next to Wemby in the playoffs. This is a guy who played 18 minutes a game over the regular season and averaged five points a game. And they're taking him at number seven. I think it's a bit rich, but I do understand that it's a low pressure situation over there in Washington. He's going to get his chance to handle the ball. He's going to get his chance to shoot a little bit. There's really no concern if he does anything wrong. They're just going to let him do his thing and grow. And I think maybe that's even an oversight. I think because they brought in a guy like Tyus Jones, because they have a guy on that team in Monte Morris who have two of the best four turnover to assist ratios in the entire league, he's going to have legitimate playmakers setting him up for easy looks. And I think they're going to make his life really easy as a young player in this league. Um, I'm okay with it. I'm I'm all right with the selection. Yeah, we'll see how it is. We'll see how it turns out. Jairus Walker sent to Indy, pick number eight. I love this. Jairus Walker is one of the highest floor players in this draft. It'll be interesting to see him in Indy. He's not like an incredibly exciting player, but he is damn good at basketball. I think he brings an excellent defender to put it to four next to Miles Turner. And I don't know when Indiana starts becoming a really good team, but they're putting the pieces together. Yeah, I actually love this selection so much. I think, you know, Jairus Walker is probably the fourth option on this offense, which is fine, but he's going to rebound. He's going to play his ass off on defense. And I think if you have a guy like that next to Miles Turner, who can protect the rim and you can have Walker kind of roaming around protecting the rim from help side and just he's good enough on his feet to kind of stick to bigger wings on the perimeter. It just adds more defensive versatility to a team that desperately needed it. And, you know, the occasional spacing he can bring, you can see Halliburton penetrating the paint and then kicking out to Walker for wide open threes. And I think that's a pretty easy shot diet for him taking three to four threes a game. He might not hit a massive clip of them, but he's going to get those looks. Yeah, and they play a lot of the time in Indy, they play five out. So if he's just the guy down low, he's got a really surprisingly quick first step. He's got a little bit of Julius Randle and I'm scoring inside. Um, this could end up working really well for him as a fourth, you know, to occasional fifth option. Uh, Utah Jazz taking Taylor Hendricks. I want to hear your thoughts on this. I feel like Taylor Hendricks is a bit big for having Lowry Markin and Walker Kessler. How do you feel about this pick? So I actually really like the pick. Um, I think the help side defense, he was very, very good at that, had staggering block percentage numbers as a forward in college. You put him next to one of the best rim protectors in the entire league in Walker Kessler. That's just going to be a really hard interior defense to score on. Now, if you look at it on the flip side, he's great at three-point shooting. Utah ran a five-out system basically all last year. Laurie's still going to be able to get to the paint easily because of the spacing that Hendricks brings. So it doesn't, even though positionally and size wise, it looks a little clunky because you have Laurie who's seven feet. You have Taylor Hendricks who's like six, nine or six, 10. And then you have Walker Kessler who's like seven, two. That's a massive front court, but because of their skill sets, the spacing is fine. 
offensively, I have no concerns. The one issue with Taylor Hendricks going into this whole draft was that his foot speed on the perimeter is a bit of an issue. So, you know, it's not going to matter when you have Walker Kessler sitting in the paint waiting for people. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, who is between him and Lowry Market and which one of those guys is sticking on the perimeter more often. Right. Moving on to number 10. This was traded to OKC. They traded up to get Casey Wallace. Casey Wallace is my guy. I could not be higher on a prospect than I am on Casey Wallace. I think he's the most complete guard prospect in this entire draft. And I think he is going to earn legitimate minutes right away for this team. I love the fit next to Shea. Yeah, you're a huge fan of him. Um, I'm a fan of his. Um, I think he's gonna. He, I think he's a great selection. I'm glad that the Thunder just got their guy. That's why you stockpile all those picks, so you can absolutely guarantee you get the guys you want. Um, Kaysen Wallace, I think, is probably going to come off the bench for them and just run the unit. Uh, I see Lou Dort keeping his minutes. I see SGA and Giddy staying in the starting lineup. But to have a guy that can come off the bench, play elite perimeter defense, and set up guys for easy looks. That's exactly what the Thunder are all about. They want a bunch of guys that make smart decisions and can handle the ball, and Kaysen Wallace is exactly that. Yeah, and I think if Kaysen Wallace is the guy running the bench unit, he can do that pretty effectively. If he's next to Shea and he's a guy who's off ball and doing a little secondary playmaking and just guarding the best defender or the the best player, he can do that. So, you know, whatever situation OKC throws him in, I think he's going to be excellent. I feel like this is one of those guys that's a lock to make an all-rookie team. I feel the same exact way, especially with the fit. I feel very comfortable saying Casey Wallace will be on a rookie team. Yeah. Moving on to number 11. This is my least favorite pick, maybe of the entire draft. Uh, Jet Howard at number 11. This is a guy who is 6'8 and shows a lot of potential as an offensive player and as a floor spacer. But he's a guy who also very visibly gave up during some games last season. I'm surprised to see him higher than Kobe Bufkin. I would have never expected he was a lottery pick, let alone 11. Yeah, Jed Howard to the Magic at 11 is by far my least favorite pick of the night. Um, like I said just a few moments ago, I was ex- I wanted them to get Grady Dick at 6 and Jordan Hawkins at 11. The thinking behind the Magic drafting Jet Howard at 11 is he's a three-point shooter. Well, there are two guys right behind him that are better at that than yeah. he is. The only thing is, is that the Magic are obsessed with size. They need you to be tall. So instead of choosing the better players at three-point shooting, they wanted a lesser three-point shooter who is taller than those guys. I disagree with the pick completely. I'm completely out on that selection. I hate it. Especially when Jet Howard is 6'8 to Grady Dick, who is 6'7. Right. You know, you know, Grady Dick has less weight on him. He could definitely add more size to his frame, but you could have drafted a big guy who can hit threes really effectively. At his best, Jet Howard is going to be an extra option for the magic who can be an effective three-point shooter on high volume. Um, We've been talking forever about that's what they need. Maybe he takes four or five threes a game at most. Um, I don't know how, I I mean, I I know I don't like it. I don't know if it works out. And just in terms of like another reason why the fun, uh, the magic would want to select him is okay. He can create for himself at six foot eight. That's not what you want. If you're the magic right now, you have two guys that are six foot 10 that can create for themselves every single trip down the court. Why get another guy on your team? That's going to take the ball away from those dudes. Why not just stock up on dudes who are completely fine, either setting up an offense or hitting three point looks. And that is their entire responsibility. I do not understand it. This would be an F if we were doing grades. Yeah. I gave him a D on the TikTok. I think that might've even been generous. Uh, Moving on to number 12, 
Dallas traded down, got Derek Lively. That's their guy. I think he's who they would have taken if they picked at 10. I think this is a great pick. Um, Derek Lively, seven foot one, mobile as hell, 250 pounds. He's going to be on the Mavs to protect the rim and to occasionally catch, you know, lobs on offense. Um, yeah. I don't love a single part of his offense, but his defense is monstrous and it will be in the NBA. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I like Derek Lively because he plays defense, not because I trust him offensively. I think he's seven foot tall, and I think guys that tall can catch alley-oops. That's my entire offensive analysis for Derek Lively. But I think the Mavericks need that skill set desperately, and they have two playmakers that will make Derek Lively's life extremely easy. When you have a guy like Luka Doncic, who's one of the best passers in the entire league, those alley-oops are going to come pretty easily. They also got uh, Rashawn Holmes. So I think that moves Derek Lively to a bench big position, which I think kind of slows down the warts we would see from him starting the season if he was a starter right away, expecting them to be a playoff caliber team. So I think fit was great. And I think for Derek Lively's sake, coming off the bench, I think it's best case scenario. Yeah, I think that's probably good for him to come off the bench to start. He does have a lot of potential as a defensive player. I think this is just a great place for him to not have to do a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, it's not a bad pick at all. I think it's an A minus. Uh, going on to number thirteen, Toronto Raptors took Grady Dick. This was an easy one. Best yeah. player available. He's the kind of guy who can thrive a little bit on ball. He can thrive off ball. If you want Scotty Barnes to be your guy running the show, you can handle that. I mean, Grady Dick on the team can handle that. Absolutely. Yeah, we texted each other as this pick was going down because both of us thought Grady Dick would be gone by 13. This was pretty self-explanatory. You get a guy who can create for himself and create three-point looks for himself on a team that is desperate for three-point shooting. I thought it made all the sense in the world. That was a great selection for the Raptors at 13. Yeah, moving on to number 14, New Orleans takes Jordan Hawkins. So Jordan Hawkins is the best three-point shooter available, but I think there were some other guys available who could do more. Seems like New Orleans was just fine taking a 6'6", Duncan Robinson, excellent movement shooter. And I like this pick. I think it's a great one. This is one of my favorite picks of the first round. I love this fit so much. They have their stars. They have them. This is what this is my same thinking with the Magic. You have your guys already. Time to draft guys who are elite at certain skills that your team needs. The New Orleans Pelicans were 29th in three-point attempts last year. So they shot them at a decent clip, but they didn't get the shots up to begin with. I think if you have Jordan Hawkins on your team, he is running sprints in the half court, catching open looks and launching them. And if Zion's healthy, imagine the space he's going to create for a guy like that, where it takes three to four guys to stop Zion from getting to the rim. Jordan Hawkins is going to get wide open looks all season long. Yeah, they needed three-point shooters, and they brought in an excellent three-point shooter. I think this was a pretty perfect fit. Uh, number 15, Atlanta takes Kobe Bufkin. This is kind of an awesome pick. Kobe Bufkin is an awesome guard, but the question becomes, what do you do with the logjam of guards in Atlanta? DeJounte Murray, Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Kobe Bufkin are all guys that could theoretically start on their own teams. Um, what do you feel about this pick? I'm a big Kobe Bufkin fan. I told our listeners that last episode. I don't love the pick. Um, what's interesting about Bufkin is he is fine playing off the ball and with the ball. He's versatile enough to do that. Uh, I think what kind of makes him really fun, though, is being able to do both at the same time, where one possession he can come up the floor running pick and roll, and then the other possession he can stay off ball and catch and shoot. This is basically Quinn Snyder 
this responsibility to say, are we actually going to get Trey Young off the ball this year? And is Kobe Bufkin the guy that's going to do it? Is DeJounte Murray the guy who's going to do it where, all right, Trey Young, you go stand in a corner for this time or you run around a screen today and let Kobe Bufkin or DeJounte Murray run pick and roll. If that's the case, I love the fit. If it's same old Hawks where Trey Young's dribbling 20 seconds out of a 24 second shot clock and Bufkin's just going to be reduced to a catch and shoot guy, I'm going to be pretty upset and I'm going to wish he went to another team. Yeah, that definitely would not maximize his ability. Do you think there's any potential here that this is a move that Atlanta's making for them preparing to move off of either DeJounte or Trey? I've seen DeJounte Murray uh, rumors and Buffkin defends and can be an off guard. So I was that that did kind of ring a bell in my head, but I think they're going to go into next season with all their guards intact and we see Kobe Buffkin come off the bench. I think that's probably right. Uh, Moving on to number 16, Keontae George to the Utah Jazz. I love this. Keontae George, I think, is going to be a star if he gets the right run, if he gets the right amount of leash in Utah. They have no pressure over there, man. He's going to be a guy, the guard spot's pretty open. Um, He's going to be a guy who's able to create for himself, do a little bit of creation for others. I think for the beginning of his career, he's not going to be a dude that immediately starts putting up ridiculous stats. But I think the highlights you're going to see from Keontae George are going to blow some people away. Yeah, I love this fit, dude. I love this fit. Um, I was pretty low on Keontae George just through the process. I think going to the Jazz at this spot was really good value, really good upside play. Um, Sitting behind Jordan Clarkson is kind of great because that's kind of who I see him as. Maybe Jordan Clarkson with a tad bit more defense. Mm. That's his upside. So he can learn from a guy like that. He can take shots. He's going to get open looks because of their five out spacing. I really like it. I'm a fan. Yeah, this is an awesome fit. I thought he was going to go higher, but I'm glad with the place he ended up. There wasn't a better spot for him further down the list. Uh, Moving on to number 17. This is one that I love. And I, from what I've seen on the TikTok, a lot of Lakers fans love Jalen Hood Shafino. I think this is your backup point guard, great guard defender who does a little bit of facilitating and doesn't ask for many shots. On a team with stars, I think this is a pretty good pick. I didn't like it very much. (laughs) Um, I didn't like it very much. We have seen through LeBron's entire career, what is the only skill set that he gives a fuck about? Catch and shoot three-point shooting. Stand in a corner, let me do my thing, I'll kick the ball to you and you'll be fine. Jalen Hood-Shifino is a 30% catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. That is dog shit. Um, I just, in terms of a player, I actually like Hood-Shifino at around this range. But when there's a guy like Bryce Sensabaugh, who went much later, but his skill set is exactly what I pictured with the Lakers, where this guy is a tough shot maker and a wide-open shot maker. And this guy can just stroke it from any range of the court. LeBron driving to the hole every single possession and kicking out to shooters is how he's won championships. Could Shafino, I almost see as more of a long-term play is like, Hey, this guy could be really good in a few years. That's that shouldn't be the goal of the Lakers. The goal of the Lakers should be to how to maximize Anthony Davis and LeBron James right now, because there's probably only two more years of legs on those dudes. I would have gone with Bryce Sensabaugh. I like Shafino as a player, but I just thought there was a better option there. I think that's totally fair in terms of if you're looking for a guy who could be a good catch and shoot three point shooter. That's basically the thing that uh, Hood Shafino cannot do. Um, If you want a guy who's going to play really good defense on the guards on the other team, if you want a guy who's got some really promising playmaking and transition, 
Um, I love Huchifino in those roles. It's just the half-court offense hasn't come around yet. Uh, maybe playing next to LeBron James helps him a little bit in that regard. Maybe there's some mechanical things he can tweak. Who knows? I think what he brings is enough to be, you know, a backup guard in the NBA at least. That's fine. I, I, I'll, I'm interested to see that because there's a guy even two spots later that I would have rather had at 17 than mm. I had. But moving on to the Heat at selection 18, they selected Jaime Hawkins Jr. from UCLA. I, I liked this pick. Uh, he's an older guy, ready to win now. Footwork, finishing around the rim, mid-range pull-ups. This guy's really efficient at those types of looks. I just think he's a Heat type of player. He gives a shit. Help defense. You know, he's going to stay in front of guys. He's going to hit open shots. He's going to create for himself here and there. He's going to draw fouls. I'm totally fine with them selecting a seasoned college player like Jaime Akis. Yeah, if you ever wonder how it is that Miami continues to be the level of team that they are with the talent around them, this is how they do it. A guy like Jaime Jaquez doesn't have fringe all-star to his name, but he is a great role player who's going to do exactly what you ask from him right away, and that's what Miami fills their team with. Um, I think Jaime Jaquez, it's a bit high for him at 18, but if you're not going to trade down, if you just want a player that's good to go right now, he was the great fit for Miami. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to the Warriors at 19, what did you think of their selection with Brandon Podziemski? I think Brandon Podziemski is a dog and a great three-point shooter. I'm excited to see him on the Warriors. I think he's going to scrap. I think he's the kind of guy that, like, whatever team he went to, he was going to bust his ass to earn minutes. I would not be surprised if he's playing minutes over Moses Moody next year. I'm right there with you. I think he's basically baby Dante DiVincenzo. He's just going to replace DiVincenzo's minutes. Like he's going to try his ass off on defense. He's going to rebound better than he should at six foot four. And he's going to hit open threes that are created by Draymond screens and Steph Curry drives. So I'm a big fan of that selection at 19. Yeah. And with the move off of Jordan Poole, they definitely needed somebody who can step in and do a little bit of shooting. And Podziemski is not the kind of shot creator that Poole is. But if you've got those creators and you just need a guy who can catch and shoot, he's going to be perfect in that role. Let's move on to number 20. And this is the craziest one. By far of the first round, Cam Whitmore, a guy who was projected top five to eight, um, fell all the way to 20. So there's some conversation about the medicals being a little worrying, some knee cartilage issues. There's some conversation about, you know, he's a black hole. Um, he's got tiny hands. I've talked about that. But all of it culminated in him getting picked 20th. I did not believe this when it happened. It's dumb. It's it's dumb. I'm willing to go on record and saying this is dumb and people above this selection will regret letting him fall to this point. We knew he was a black hole. We knew he knew. We knew he didn't know how to pass. That's what we knew. What we also knew is he was a dynamic athlete at six foot seven, whose motor ran decently hot, would try to defend and could blow past anyone on offense. That That's a really good player. That's a top five to eight talent in the draft. The question marks, the, you know, injury stuff, that stuff that we didn't really hear about until last night. I hadn't heard any of that. But from my evaluation, just watching what I've watched of him, it just seems crazy to a guy to see a guy this talented go at this selection. I think the Rockets got a steal here. The Rockets got a steal. There were some alarm bells. I saw some things about Cam Whitmore slipping. People aren't really that interested. And I didn't think it would go this far. I thought he was maybe going to get picked ninth and that was going to be how far he fell. The fact that he came to, that he fell to 20, 
I'm imagining Amen Thompson, Jalen Green, Cam Whitmore on the floor all at the same time. And those are three 99th percentile athletes all on the same team. Thinking about Shangun throwing them lobs, thinking about Amen throwing them lobs. Houston Rockets are much watch TV next year. Watch as many regular season games as you can. Yeah, they are probably number like three on my league pass rankings heading into next year with just the amount of athleticism and guys who can just cram dunks on opposing people's heads. Like Cam Whitmore was posterizing everyone. MN Thompson's been doing that shit since he was 15. Same thing with Jalen Green. Like these guys are freaking John the Baptists. They're baptizing everyone in their sight. I, I was shocked seeing him fall this it doesn't make sense to me maybe shit comes out even further that makes me understand it but just a pure talent alone at 20 it's it's a nuts pick unbelievable value moving on to number 21 Noah Clowney getting picked by picked by Brooklyn this is a backup big to go behind Nicholas Claxton um I think this is a good pick I'm not in love with it but I understand the direction they went with and I'm happy with it Yeah, I'm actually very happy with this pick. I think the Nets' biggest weakness is their size and their rebounding. We saw Joel Embiid and its 76ers team be able to sweep a Nets team um, because their rebounding and defense just wasn't enough. And Clowney walks in and helps that immediately. Just another big body in the building. Um, I'm a big fan of that selection at 21. And to move on to 22, they had the the Nets pick again. They take Dariq Whitehead, another great defender, another guy who this is a really good value at 22. He was one of the highest rated high school prospects, and you're not betting on that. But the situation in Brooklyn, I think, gives him plenty of opportunity to see what he's capable of. I love this. It's just like a talent play. At 22, this is kind of the range I expected him to start being mentioned. Um, This is a team that already has a pretty lengthy like wing rotation, uh, rotation, excuse me, Dorian Finney-Smith, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson. Those are three guys that can play defense and shoot threes. This is just another guy that they can slowly bring along, make sure he's healthy and develop slowly. I'm a big fan of that selection at 22. I have some anger for this next pick. 23, Portland selected Chris Murray. Chris Murray's brother is on the very next team, 24. I think this is a horrendous pick for Portland. I don't even know, like, fit wise how I feel about it Chris Murray's a great player I just wanted to see him play with his brother I'm right there with you that really bothered me last night (laughs) seeing that he was one team away from playing on the same team as his twin but in terms of just fit in terms of player I think this is a great selection at 23 Chris Murray we know what he's going to be he's going to be a guy who positively contributes to winning He's going to be at minimum a role player. I don't see him completely falling out of the league. He's not one of these guys where I have to worry if he's going to be an accountant in a few months. This is a guy who's an NBA player. I'm glad the Blazers are just drafting what was there for them at 23. Yeah, I think that's fine. Um, Yeah, he's definitely a good player to pick at 23. 24, this is a bit of a surprise. Olivier Maxence Prosper. He played for Marquette. He helped lead them to a Big East victory. I don't know a crazy amount about Maxence Prosper. He's a guy who's efficient scoring inside, who does a little bit of things well from everywhere on the floor. 7-1 wingspan at 6-7. How do you feel about this pick? Yeah, I don't feel anything about this pick because I didn't hear his name until yesterday. Um, I think me and you play pretty close attention to this shit. Like I've watched hours and hours of content and of hoops and of just real live games of these guys to understand what happens on draft night. And I literally did not hear this guy's name until last night. So I was a little taken aback. I don't know if I was just in the woods with him or in the dark with him. I have no idea. I don't have much to say because I know nothing about him. That's totally fair. Moving on to number 25, Marcus Sasser, drafted by Detroit. This is perfect. 
This is amazing. Marcus Sasser, great defender, NBA ready from the jump. He's a guy who could eat at all of the guard minutes in Detroit. Yeah, it's awesome to see Detroit get a player like this. He fits their timeline because Ivy's been on the team for a year already. Cade's been, he's going into his third year. They're all around the same age. Um, I So I love that. Two, defense and three-point shooting. Everyone's looking for those skill sets. Sasser has those two skill sets at his position. Now, he may be undersized. He may be old for when he was selected in the draft. This is a Pistons team that kind of wants to start winning right now. Do they expect to be a playoff team? I doubt it. Would they like to try to compete to get into the play-in? I really think that's their goal next year. I think Sasser gets them closer to that. Sasser's listed at 6'2 with a 6'7 wingspan. So this is a guy who's not going to just be Davion Mitchell, who you're throwing in for 12 minutes a game. This is a guy who can guard ones and twos, and you're going to be happy with his three-point production also. You want to know what, though? Even if he is, I still like the pick, right? If you get Davion Mitchell at selection 25 and he can come in for 10 to 12 minutes a night and just play really good defense and hit an occasional three, like I'm still okay with that for the Pistons. I think that's definitely fair. Moving on. Next pick 26, Ben Shepard, senior from Belmont. He's a dude who didn't really play in a big market at all. Didn't have a lot of buzz around his name at all. It's surprising to see him at 26. But you look at some of his stats, he shot 42% from three on six attempts a game. He played passable defense over a steal a game, 19 points a game. This is a a productive player to get at 26. Yeah, this is a three and D wing that just went to a smaller school. That's why we're seeing him selected here at pick 26 instead of higher up, because he has the skill set that gets you selected in the lottery. It's just he did it in a smaller school against worse competition. So this should be interesting for the Pacers, but I like the upside swing for them. Absolutely. Moving on to number 27, Nick Smith Jr. to Charlotte. So Nick Smith Jr. was so talented. And as a value play, it's really cool that you can get him at 27. But is Charlotte the place that he should have gone to? Yeah, I thought it was yucky. Uh, That's what I sent you once the pick was made. Because (laughs) I think I've been more attached to Nick Smith than a lot of people I think I I know in the draft community. Um, I thought, you know, maybe you get him on the heat. The Rockets at 20. I I thought he was going to go to the Pelicans or even Raptors at 13. He started to slide down my boards. I started to like him less and less, but I still thought he would be a decent top 20 selection. To see him here at 27 is a little crazy, just with the way that he played in high school. And I know if we're talking about his play two years ago as his biggest attribute, that's not awesome. But he did deal with injuries. I think for the Hornets, this is a fine play. Just send that dude to the G League. See if he can do anything and then move on from there. He could be a James Booknight replacement. And James Booknight plays zero minutes in the NBA. So, (laughs) you know, that's not the great replacement, but I think it's definitely possible. We'll have to see if the new regime in Charlotte makes any bit of difference. Michael Jordan has finally got himself out of the building. I think that's a great decision. I don't know how I feel about this, but. You know, at 27, it's kind of easy to grab a guy like this. Really, really talented prospect. Yeah. Moving on to pick number 28, Bryce Sensabaugh for the Jazz. I loved the Jazz draft. I think they did incredible. I think they probably had the best draft. Um, It's either them or the Rockets that I've loved the most. Bryce Sensabaugh is a tough shot maker, elite shooter from all areas of the court. It's just he doesn't defend and he doesn't pass. Um, So can Will Hardy... And Danny Ainge, just convince him to be a catch-and-shoot guy. Can you just make that guy sit in a corner and continue the five-out spacing strategy that they love there in Utah? Because he has the shooting chops to do it. It's just, is his ego big? Is 
Is he going to buy into the defensive structure? Is he going to be able to stay on the court? Is he going to swing the ball when Lowry's wide open cutting? Those are the questions you're asking. But in terms of just pure shooting talent alone here at 28, it doesn't make sense he dropped this far. Like that is crazy shooting talent for a guy at 28. Yeah, the talk about how are we going to fit Bryce Enzabal into our team is, you know, valid and it's a good one to have. But the fact that they get to have that conversation with the 28th pick, Bryce Enzabal is talented as hell as an offensive weapon. He's the kind of guy who's mostly an on-ball creator. So if you want to see some minutes, maybe they just let him run some bench unit minutes. You know, we'll see what you're capable of. Take the ball, see what you can create for yourself. Bryce Sensabaugh, it's a great play at 28. Yeah, I like that pick a lot. 29th, the Nuggets selected Julian Strother, who I spoke to you about on the podcast a day ago or two days ago at this point. I really like him. Six, seven, sharp shooting wing, willing to play defense. This fits right into the Nuggets, right? He's going to get wide open looks from Jokic. He's been on teams that have competed for championships at Gonzaga, deep playoff runs with Gonzaga. This is a mature player coming in right away, and he's going to take, you know, what his shot diet is and accept his role immediately. He's not going to fuss or fight about what how many shots he's taking. I love this pick for them. And that's exactly how Denver drafts. I think I'm at the point which with, with whatever draft pick they make, I am on board with. Julian Strother, you talked about him the last time we talked, and I think, you know, having a little bit of understanding is who he, of who he is as a player helped, but I was going to support this pick no matter who they picked. And Julian Strother, just as an extra sharpshooter to throw on the bench, great decision. Right. I, the Nuggets have earned our trust, right? Yeah. After we saw them select Christian Brown last year, when me and you both had no idea who the fuck that dude was, and the, the impact he had in the NBA Finals, you know, I trust their management. Um, so it's good to see. Pick 30, the LA Clippers selected Kobe Brown, um, senior, twenty, almost 24, which is crazy old. But all of his statistics are outrageously efficient. Um, this is just one of those guys who's really, really old, but really, really good at college basketball. And now it's just time to see if his game can translate to the NBA. Yeah, 16 points a game in college on 66% true shooting is kind of unreal. He shot yeah. 46% from three, only on three attempts a game. But as an extra wing who can get an occasional bucket and who knows what he's doing from the jump, great pick from the Clippers. So now the second round starts, and there were some guys that we thought we, we were going to go in the first round that ended up being second round selections. So let's talk about a few of them. James Najee, I don't even know what team he's on right now. Charlotte. He's on Charlotte. Okay. That's a nice play. I think that's Mark Williams insurance. I think you have another massive athlete on your team. Seven foot, can jump out of the gym. Obviously, we talked about his wingspan already. LaMelo chucking up lobs to that dude is very easy to see. And Brandon Miller using his screens to create open threes is very easy to see. So I like that selection. Yeah, if there's someone that paid attention to the Celtics, because uh, I was definitely looking to see who they were drafting, they had the 25th pick, and then they traded into this pick, drafted James Najee, sent him to Charlotte, and then they ended up with pick 34 and 39. They moved both of those picks. Um, it was a mess watching them in Boston. They drafted James Najee and Colby Jones. I would have loved it if those two dudes made it on the roster. Um, but James Najee is a beast, seven feet tall, seven, seven wingspan, mobile as hell behind Mark Williams. There's no pressure for him to do anything. Um, but you're learning from a guy who's already an elite rim protector in Mark Williams. Yeah. Leonard Miller, a guy that we thought maybe could be even a lottery selection slipped all the way to number 33. He's on the Timberwolves. I like that as an upside play and I trust Tim Connolly. 
I think the Rudy Gobert trade was forced by management or ownership. I don't think that was Tim Connolly just saying, we need Rudy Gobert on our squad desperately. That's not how I view the situation. I think Leonard Miller's a nice talent play here at 33 when his statistics and rebounding looked crazy for a G League Ignite team that's facing professional players. I'm impressed that they were able to get him here at 33. I liked him at 12. I liked him at 15. I thought absolutely he was going to be a top 20 pick. This is great value for Minnesota. You're getting a 6'10 guy who's an unbelievable rebounder, really good inside scorer, and he's got some guard skill handling the ball, and he's also 6'10 with a 7'2 wingspan. So his defense isn't good right now, and it may not be for his rookie year, but he's got the physical tools that you could probably teach him to be pretty passable on defense. Yeah, 100%. Another pick I loved in the second round was Andre Jackson to the Bucks. This is just an all-around guy, kind of like a baby Caruso, like 6.6 rebounds, 6 assists, or baby Lonzo Ball, someone who just does the right things during the flow of the game. I don't know how much he's going to be able to contribute to a team who's vying to win a championship right away, but I'd like to see him get significant bench minutes throughout the regular season. I think he will. I definitely think he'll earn bench minutes. He's the kind of guy, you're right, who just plays Perfect. He plays the right version of basketball, exactly what you asked from him and nothing more. Um, Colby Jones taken at 34. I think he was ended up in Charlotte. Colby Jones was a guy I wanted the Celtics to draft. And I think he'll be a plus role player. There's a lot of guys in this second round who just strike me as guys who are sticking around in the NBA long term. And Colby Jones is one of those guys. Yeah, for sure. Another guy, D3, Paul George, Maxwell Lewis going to the Lakers. I like that. Um, We'll see. Just interesting name at that selection. I like that. You know, we need a guy who can catch and shoot. Maxwell Lewis can catch and shoot from three. He's tall. He's got a high release point. He's 6'7", but he's got a high release point. You know, if he's a guy who you don't ask to do a lot of ISO creation, and he's just a guy who sits in the corner and shoots open threes, perfect fit. And then he can do a little more if you need him to. Right. Gigi Jackson went to the Grizzlies. I think that's an interesting talent play moving forward. Obviously, I've talked about Gigi Jackson and my opinion of him. I think for the Grizzlies who desperately need another up and like an upside talent on their team, why not? He's the youngest player in the draft. Who cares? Um, Amani Bates to the Cavs is someone we need to talk about just because obviously I'm a Cavs fan. And two, Amani Bates has had such an interesting road here to getting to the NBA. This is really interesting stuff. Um, I'm not super confident in him being a good NBA player. What I would like to see from him is an ego check. Um, you know, hey, buddy, you're not taking 17 shots a game when you come into the NBA. You're taking six. Um, I'd love to see him come off the bench for the Cavs and sit in the corner so Mobley can find him during the short roll at the three-point line. Or Darius Garland can just set him up for looks because he has an awesome jump shot. If it's open, he'll probably knock it down. It's his shot selection and his, he wants to shoot it all the time. So it's just going to be an ego check. Can we get him to sit in the corner and effectively win? He'll help win games if he takes that role. Like if he just sits in the corner, he'll help win games. Yeah. When they asked him coming into the NBA draft here, what do you expect to be in the NBA? He said, I expect to be one of the best to ever do it. Right. Um, And that is not, uh, that does not inspire confidence from your 49th pick. Um, You know, it's nice to hear that. And Amani Bates is going to work his ass off. I believe that. But he is 6'9 with a 6'9 wingspan. He is not the kind of athlete that people expected him to be as he was growing up. He is just a really, really high volume ISO shot creator. 
So if you put him in the corner, you put him in the Isaac Okoro role, and you just sit there and you take threes, he's not going to be Isaac Okoro on defense. He's not going to be guarding anybody on the defensive end. But I don't care. Yeah. Because I think Isaac Okoro is useless. I don't care that he can guard people because he can't affect offense in any way positively. At least Amani Bates could hit, take five threes per game and hit 37% of them. That would drastically impact how the Cavs play basketball. That is already greater than Isaac Okoro's contribution to the team. So it's interesting. It's an interesting selection. Um, I'm iffy on it at best, but I'm going to have a flicker of hope just because I can see where he could help us win games. So we'll see. I think it's an excellent swing at 49 because you were not going to draft a guy who you could guarantee minutes to. Right. Um, I want to talk about a player that I love that went to a spot that I hate. Amari Bailey picked at 41 to Charlotte. They've got too many young guys that need minutes on that team. Amari Bailey, I think, is the kind of guy who's set up to be a long-term NBA player. But in Charlotte, I don't know what he does. Does he just sit in the G League for his whole you know, rookie year? What kind of contract does he even get as a second round pick? Um, I'm worried about Amari Bailey's future. And he was a guy that I kind of felt like was going to be a lock to stick around. Yeah, I think the Hornets are kind of just a desolate land of bad draft picks. And that's what makes me worried because I actually really liked Amari Bailey too. We both spoke about him pretty glowingly in the pre-draft process, went to UCLA, learned how to play defense, learned how to get off the ball as a freshman in college. I really like him. I really hate Charlotte, though, so I'm a little nervous for that. Um, I think one of the bigger surprises in the entire second round was Trace Jackson Davis being the second-to-last draft pick of the night. This is a guy that we both thought was going to be a first-round flyer at the very end. He goes at 57, and he goes to the Warriors, too. So what are your feelings on that? So surprising to see him at 57. I liked him at 30 to the Clippers. He's the kind of guy who feels like a lock to be a good role player from the jump. Sending him to Golden State as a backup big behind Draymond and Kevon Looney. Is there a better situation for him to be sent to? I don't really know. Like, I think that's a perfect fit. Winning culture. This guy's older. That's what the Warriors need. They need someone who can come in right away and play decent minutes without feeling completely lost. I, I was shocked that he lasted this long. I was a little shocked. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that are probably going to regret that. One final name I want to talk about, Ryan Repair. Picked 43rd to Portland. He was a guy that was in my top 20 for a while. I had him going 20 to Houston. And I think the thing we saw is just you do a deep dive into all the players that exist in this draft class is Ryan Repair sucks in offense. He's (laughs) like really, really terrible at offense. So, you know, Portland gets a 6'7", 6'6", Frank Nielakina. Um you know, who knows if he turns into anything. It was kind of surprising to see a guy who had so much buzz so early in the draft process become such an afterthought so quickly. Right. And I think, you know, it's funny you bring up that name, Frank Nielakino. Like, I think that is something that was starting to rear its ugly head heading into the draft process where it was like, hey, this guy's absolutely decimating people defensively. Like he's all over them. He chases them around. That's valuable. How do we keep him on the court? Yeah. How how do we keep a guy that can't do anything on offense on the court in a game in today's NBA where the goal is to score basically 120 to 140 points per night? Yeah. He doesn't help you do that in any capacity. And I think that really started to sour NBA teams on him. 
he's got to be Herb Jones. He's got to be one of the better defenders out there right away and also a guy who's getting every point opportunity that comes to him inside. Because Herb Jones can't shoot a three to save his life. Ryan Repair won't be able to either. But that is the path to him being a legitimate NBA player. Yeah, and that's a great call. The Herb Jones comparison is a good one. Um, just to see how Herb impacts games with his length and how he gets into passing lanes and shit like that. It really helps the Pelicans, but I think Herb's a pretty special, unique player. So it'll be interesting to see if Rupert can duplicate that. Um, in terms of this draft in a whole, like what was your favorite thing about it? Least favorite thing about it? How do you feel about the whole experience in general? Do you like where players ended up feeling? Do you kind of hate where the mat, like hate the fits? What are your, just your overall feelings about the night? It's so funny with all of the draft talk that me and you have been doing all the draft talk I've been doing over on the TikTok. I really yeah. felt locked in. I really felt like I knew who was getting picked where some yeah. of these picks absolutely surprised me. Jet Howard at 11 was immediately disgusting. Yeah. Um, and I was shook when that pick came through. I feel like I, I felt so confident that I knew who was going to be picked in the top 20 and I probably got six of them wrong. Yeah. Yeah. We know nothing, right? That's <laughs> what makes this fun. Me and you, you know, we watch our own tape. We get our own opinions. We read the articles. We watch the tapes. We look at other people's content. We compare contrast. We make our own opinions. Like we only know so much. We aren't in these buildings. You know, we aren't professional scouts. We're not sitting over in France watching Ryan Rupert on our free time. That's not what's happening. But I think it's interesting because we do put hours and hours of work into this, studying this, guessing where these guys are going to go. And every single year we are blown away. I remember the Giddy selection had us completely shook. Like Giddy at six to OKC when that selection was made, we were like, what the fuck? Um, every year we get a little bit surprised by someone or a team or a certain prospect. And I, I think that's part of what makes the draft so fun is you can't really ever expect what's going to happen. Yeah, I think you're right. And just as a little comparison to Giddy, uh, number six of this year's draft, Anthony Black. I think he's a guy yeah. that could be that kind of player. Six, seven with a great feel for the game. We talk endless amount of shit about Josh Giddy's ability to play offense. And yeah. what we've seen in the NBA is it didn't matter didn't matter how slow he was. It didn't really matter that he can't shoot threes because he finds his way to carve himself into the paint and to get everybody else involved. So is Anthony Black going to be a sharpshooter? No, but we've seen that you can find ways to be successful without it. Absolutely. Shooting is not the end all and be all, but for a team that's two best players aren't A plus shooters to say the least. I think it was an interesting selection. And I just think, you know, this is another part of what's so fun about this draft coverage is we get our opinions out there for people to listen to and disagree with or agree with, right? Like, I I think it's going to be really interesting if Jet Howard becomes great because me and you are both on the record saying we hate that fit and that's the wrong selection. Yeah, I'm on the record saying they should have taken Jordan Hawkins or Grady Dick. What if those two players suck, right? Like, I think that's what's really fun about this process too is we have our own evaluations and they – you know, sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong and we can only do the best we can, right? We do the, we do enough research to make educated guesses and then we roll with them. Yeah, man. It's hilarious to look back at some older drafts and to hear some guys talking about like, yeah, LaMelo Ball's a great player, but he's not Killian Hayes. You know, he's not right. going to be that like, that's right. Those are legitimate conversations that have happened in the past and you're always going to get some shit wrong. Yeah. And uh, you know, the Cam Whitmore stuff, like maybe I'm an idiot. Like maybe that that is right that he's selected at 20. Maybe I'm way too high on him. You know, there's people like that 
I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see. We will see. Um, as a final note, let's do some favorite fits and maybe some yeah. least favorite fits. I think we sure. know the least favorite fits. My favorite fit by far, Men Thompson to Houston. Um, I think Jarris Walker in Indy is amazing. I think Casey Wallace in OKC is amazing. And I love Jordan Hawkins in New Orleans. Yeah, I think Scoot to the Blazers is really fun because it's his team right away, assuming Dame's gone, which I'm pretty sure is going to happen. Um, I like Koulibaly to the Wizards. I know you're not a fan of that. I think that's going to be interesting to watch just because that team's so weird right now. They have so many playmakers that are going to make his life easy. I'm curious how efficient his looks are. I think Jordan Hawkins to the Pelicans is just like spectacular. I I, I love that fit so much. Um, I'm a huge fan of his in general. Um, I There were a lot of selections in this year's draft that really made me happy, like fits for guys. It, it didn't feel, there wasn't a whole lot of like, fuck, he went there. Like I was genuinely pretty happy with everyone's selections. I love Taylor Hendricks to the Jazz. I think that's super interesting. When he was getting talked about at six, that kind of felt too rich for me. I think him going to nine and next to Walker Kessler and Laurie Markin is, is a perfect fit. I just, yeah, I'm pretty happy with everything. I think Brandon Podziemski at 19 to Golden State is another perfect, perfect fit. Jaime Hawkes, you know, the ideal Miami fit. In terms of my least favorite fits, first yeah. one's easy, Jet Howard to Orlando. And it's not even, you know, it's not like the least favorite fit. It was just like, what are you doing drafting him at 11? Right. I think Bilal Koulibaly to Washington. Nobody wanted to watch the Wizards anyway, so he helps with that because nobody's going to tune in for him. Yeah. Um, and besides that, I think my least, least favorite, Chris Murray to the Blazers. How dare you take him yeah. one spot away from Sacramento? Now we have to, I, now I have a question. In in the first round, actually, let's do lottery. In the lottery, who's a guy that you think is going to exceed your expectations for them and who's a guy who's going to disappoint? Um, I think if you're looking for an easy, easy bust watch, Bilal Koulibaly is just going to be a role player. He's not going to be out of the league. He's proven he can play professional basketball, but he hasn't proven that he's good enough at offense to do anything in the NBA. So I think he's a guy that you could watch for in terms of like potential bust watch. Um, In terms of who I think will outshine expectations, that's a great question. I mean, how low are expectations for Jet Howard? He comes in and he shoots 37% on five threes a game. Is that enough to just ignore all the haters? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you? Who are some of your guys that you think will rise or fall from the lottery? I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think a guy who could disappoint is Ahmed Thompson. Uh, that would be, that would be my shot uh, because I think expectations for him are really high. I think people are very excited. They should be. I think the scoring and the turnovers is something that we really need to pay attention to. I don't think people are paying enough attention to how the fit affects his offense and his development as a scorer. Um, a guy who I think could exceed expectations would probably be mm, Bilal Koulibaly, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I just like the fit a lot. I think his skill set next to those guards they have there in Washington, like I know it's silly because it's Tyus Jones and Monte Morris, but those players are there to shoot threes and make other people's lives easier. This is a guy who's very, very young, who's going to cut, who's going to have open shots to shoot. And if they get him the ball in the right spots, I think his efficiency could be really surprising along 
with his great wing defense. I, I think I'm higher on Koulibaly to the Wizards than you by a pretty high margin. Absolutely. I yeah. think, you know, you can count on one hand the amount of times that Jordan Poole was going to pass the ball to Koulibaly in a game. Um, I, I don't think we see, I don't think we see him get the kind of leash that maybe teams would hope. Um, I don't get it, man. I think Koulibaly is great as a wing defender, but just because you're bad at dribbling and shooting doesn't mean you'll be really good one day. Like just because he's raw as a prospect doesn't mean he'll put it all together. I don't know. I'm trying not to just be a hater, but I think that's what's coming out right now. No, no, you're good. I mean, we just view him differently as a prospect. That's all. That's why he should. Because if I'm right, that's hilarious. If you're right, that's hilarious. There you go. It's good to be on the opposite aisle on something. So I have a final question about the Thompson twins that you brought up, Amen. Do you think there's a chance that by the end of the rookie year, Asar's the better rookie? Absolutely. Like kind of no question. I I think, I think Amen's going to have a really interesting opportunity to show his passing prowess right away because Houston needs it so desperately. But if Asar is the catch-and-shoot shooter that people expect him to be, I think that makes him the better rookie out of the two of them. I think you're probably right. A man to be the better player has to have the ball in his hands a lot. And if he's struggling to score, are they going to continue to put the ball in his hands? We'll have to see. Um, Who is a guy, before we wrap up here, outside of the lottery, I want one name of a guy who's really going to pop and is really going to separate himself from the rest of the, the first round. Do you have a name? I mean, without cheating in selecting Cam Whitmore, who I think is just the, I'm just still kind of shocked by that outside the lottery. I'd probably go with Julian Strother might be the answer for me. Honestly, I just think his fit, we're not going to see a whole lot from him because he's a rookie because the Denver Nuggets are in the middle of a back-to-back hunt right they want back-to-back titles how much are they going to trust a rookie to play really impactful minutes for them probably not a ton we saw christian brown fall out of the rotation for like a week and a half last year for some random reason no idea why he would probably be my answer or um the obvious cam whitmore I think Cam Whitmore is easy. I think you got to look at Utah. Keontae George, Bryce Senzabaugh as two electric sure. shot getters. Yeah. One of those guys could separate himself and earn a starting role if he's good enough at scoring. Actually, Bryce Senzabaugh. That would that would be, yeah. I, I I was a little shocked to just see him fall that far with his shooting talent just because of how important it is in the NBA. I think that's a really good answer as well. Yeah, me too, man. Um, I, I think this was an awesome draft process. I, you know, we're already getting talk that next year's not going to be as exciting, that the players aren't as good, yada, yada, yada. I'm still probably going to put as much time into it, but I really enjoyed this draft process. I think I can confidently say next year is the first draft I won't give a shit about. (laughs) I mean, just everything I've read is like, holy shit, all these guys suck. (laughs) Um, We'll see, though. I mean, there's always people are always getting better, right? So as of right now, it seems like, hey, there's no like bona fide NBA all star coming into the league next year. But there are always guys getting better. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. That'll do it for draft content. JP, you got anything else? That's nothing. Peace.